I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by PDAC. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustleshare PDAX. Also powered by Podmachine the simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. But one factor which in particular comes in here in the Philippines and in the NCR region in Manila, one of the densest cities in the world. You think about this, so you have a store that's like having a radius of like two kilometers, leading to like a really good outlook in terms of profitability. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. Finally got this guy. I've been talking to this guy prior to my injury. So if you're listening to this, I have a little dirty secret. For the past seven weeks, I have not been able to walk or put any weight on my uh, right leg because I broke my ankle with a broken fibula. And one of the fondest memories I've had when I was still walking was going to Makati to meet this guy. Now, several months ago, it was a rainy day. But again, finally, we have him. 
Because again, shout out to Paolo Campos of Kaya Founders who told me to check out this guy and I said, we were going to do this episode and finally this happened. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Julian Schumacher of Dart. Julian, welcome to the show, finally. All right. Um, again, thanks so much for finally being here. And uh, how are you doing? It's been a while. It's been a while now. Thanks, thanks for having me. And I'm I'm quite impressed by your memory. I think that's all spot on. It was a rainy day. It was in the Kaya office, and not bad. And I'm like, as you said, like super excited to be here on the show. Right again, again. Uh, you you guys were doing amazing stuff. I was blown away what you're trying to do. But it's now time to tell the world about it. So before I get carried away, I need to ask you the million dollar question, Julian. What's your hustle? Yeah, I'm I'm one of the three co-founders of Dart, and I mean ultimately what well, ultimately what we are doing we delivery groceries to your door in 15 minutes. So ultimately, from placing the order online through our app to having it at your place, we do that in in less than 15 minutes. And on top of that, it's like normal supermarket, so you can buy from us like fresh goods, fruits and vegetables, snacks, beer, wines, or anything when you think of a supermarket. And at like normal supermarket prices, so no convenience markup or anything. And there are no exceptions to this. So ultimately, um, like a super convenient, easy supermarket getting stuff directly to your door. That's amazing. And again, that's what blew me away. Because anything that you can do in 15 minutes in the Philippines is fast. Okay, <laughs> Considering the traffic and the craziness that comes in, in between. Whew, that, that that's what blew me away. And again, if that's the SLA or the commitment that you guys do, I, I'm very curious to see how you're going to get that done. But I need you first to buckle up because before we talk about Dart and how you can give us everything that we need in 15 minutes, I need you to buckle up because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right, there we go, riding 500 kilometers per hour in the Autobahn. Because <laughs> we're going to have to go back <laughs> and see how you started out. So again, we've had a lot of your, your, your uh, fellows in the Kaya Founders realm. We've had cons and a bunch of other guys coming, Andreas, Hoofnoggle, right? Alex, we, it's, you got next. So hopefully, Alex, if we can find time. You got next. I'm shouting you out as early as now of, of Eat Daily. But again, we've had a lot of your friends and contemporaries that also came from Germany that, that, that is now in the Philippines. But I want to understand your origin story, Julian. Um, what, was, what was it like growing up? And was, it, was there any hint of entrepreneurship that you, you had? And if there was, well, who, were your co- uh, who were your mentors and inspiration? Yes, um, I think the Ottoman reference is very good. So as, as you pointed out, I'm originally from uh, from Germany, from Hamburg, to be precise. And if you look at my past, I think there are like three quite like episodes or points like uh, which are important, which brought me basically to where I'm now. I mean, initially, it's like really school days and also my family, um, high school. So actually, you know, I grew up in Hamburg, like I was born in Hamburg, I grew up there, like until until the end of high school didn't really move or anything but my my parents have always been like very supportive right so 
in terms of education, especially, they were always like spot on and pushing me and my brothers to actually like do well. But at the same time, I mean, they were like pretty clear in terms of rules, right? So it was not that that we got a lot of money or so we got our pocket money, but anything else, well, we had to work for that. So basically, since I was like 12, 14, I've been doing like the small hustles already and been working in parallel to school. And that was pretty formative, I would say. And then my family always like came from, I wouldn't call it entrepreneur background, but they've always been independent and having their own small companies. And yeah, I, I remember this time like sitting with my dad at the breakfast table and talking about like, how does that work in Germany? And that has been like this like business and independent that really like already gave me some background that this might be an option. But then ultimately did my high school, uh, finished that one, did the two years in the army in Germany, and then obviously off to my studies and like went for business uh, economic, uh, economics ultimately. And um, yeah, I mean, there it was pretty clear. We'll go into the business direction, explored quite a lot of things, did my studies um, across Europe, also spent some time in Singapore. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a really good time. I mean, that was probably like one of the best times I had in my life. And it's also really made me very fond of Southeast Asia. Yes. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, when I started my bachelor's studies, I was like, at this time, I mean, was this like sort of pre-financial crisis and I was like, yeah, I want to be an investment banker, right? That, that sounded awesome. Um, I did an internship in an investment bank. <laughs> I was right. like, okay, uh, that's not my thing. Um, so I've, been, <laughs> I've been exploring quite a bit, um, but yeah, ultimately came around and then finished my studies, like met a lot of like uh, cool friends, including Constantine, for instance, which obviously has been like uh, quite important for bringing me here. Um but then um, went into the like starting of my first work and like as a as a like German who's like interested in startups, right? I, I kicked off my career with Rocket for a short stint. Mm-hmm. Um, worked in the more in the European ecosystem with an early stage startup mm-hmm. who went from like within a couple of months into like I think six seven countries at that point. Wow. Really helped them to grow. Mm-hmm. So like really good time and at that time like Rocket. Internet was like in Germany when it came to startups and entrepreneurship, the shit, right? Yep. But then decided to to actually switch sides, and I I went to Bain. Mm-hmm. Um, so Got been it. working in the private equity uh, in the in the consulting industry, but very much focused on private equity clients. I've been doing anything with them from like ultimately looking at like assets for them, like really taking the investor point of view. Is this like a good good investment asset? What are problems? What are opportunities? Um, then also help them in terms of value creation, ultimately to uh, to um, exit topics, and that has been obviously quite a formative time, Bain. Um, so on the one hand, I mean, like this this mindset of identifying like problems or opportunities, right? Like really looking at numbers, diving into them, um, making sense of these numbers. Mm-hmm. What is the root cause that that's something which is like helping me today even tremendously mm-hmm. and then when you find opportunities or problems like actually solving or like implementing stuff in a structured way mm-hmm. uh, plus and that's also a big one i mean communication right you, you can do a lot but you also have to tell people the story behind it and that mm-hmm. they understand it and that's 
like being in the team setting or with investors or potential partners. This is like really a uh, really good skill. All right. Now I, I want to just zero in. I'll track back a little bit and put it in reverse. Just a couple of things that again uh, are, are eye-opening here. Just if your exposure to startups really originated from Rocket, and I, I don't know if I ever got to told you, I, I also had Rocket exposure through yeah. Groupon very early yeah. on around 2011. Um, so I understand the hustle and the type of execution they, they did. What did you learn over that short stint that you said that you, you were there for? Because again, Rocket was very much you know, shameless and how their model was. A lot of people during that time were giving them a lot of flack about it. Like, hey, you're just uh, replicating and whatnot. But what they didn't understand is that, yes, you know, they were replicating ideas, uh, if you want to call that, but they were out executing everyone. And that's the key because in startups, at the end of the day, ideas are cheap. Execution is gold. And again, you're going to have to iterate and validate fast. But what was your experience in that that you still carry through now? And then later on, we'll talk about your consulting uh, experience in Bain. Yeah. Um, I mean, what you said, fully agree, right? Um, there are uh, like thousand ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, you can always start an idea and execute on that one. But if you like one-to-one end on this one, or you do like, you take something from a different continent and like then apply it in a different context. Right. I mean, yes, the idea is there, but you have to adapt it in a way that it actually turns out to be different. Um, so I agree with you on that one. And I, like, I had a really good time at Rocket, right? Yeah. Um, I learned a lot in terms of like scaling fast, adapting the product, like really working also with numbers. I mean, we, we went like really deep into numbers in the in the different like countries, different like cohorts to really understand like hey how is our our service our product actually doing, and then adapting it to the to the needs and improving it, improving it, improving it. Right? And that is obviously like scaling, improving at the same time, and growing the business. So that was like really impressive and really cool to see. Plus, I mean, also when you see like you you put a like bunch of like super like driven and smart people into a room and give them some sort of structure in terms of project problems they should work on. Yep. Um, that obviously is helping a lot. And that's something was yeah, something we obviously tried to replicate mm-hmm. to get like good people on board who are like dedicated mm-hmm. and then give them the right structure to solve problems. And that's great because I, I again I'm looking at again your LinkedIn and that that ability of Rocket to identify a business model and Literally, as much as possible, copy paste that from another country to another country. It's a little bit of a foreshadowing of what you did with gorillas and now with Dart, right? Because again, it's it's quick commerce. It's it's being able to do that. But we'll talk about that after we talk about Bain. And again, one thing I want to understand about consulting and PE, and I've had so many people join here with that experience, is that it gives you an uncanny ability to identify problems and to solve them and also utilize the power of cash and also minimizing risk. Because in PE and BC, it's a totally different ballgame, right? The risk appetite is different, but the check sizes are, oh my goodness, not even close, right? Again, for context, if uh, for those people who don't understand what the difference with BC is basically risk appetite and check sizes. Uh, if to super simplify it, but if you don't, if you want to know more, 
we'll probably put that in the show note of what the difference between VC and private equity. But in your experience with Bain and probably also with True Ventura, in a way, um, what was the skills and the point of view that you had that that you really mastered during this this point point of your career? Because at the end of the day, the macros matter, and the unit economics matter more than anything, right? For you to to see if this opportunity is worth pursuing. This is what I see sometimes with homegrown startup founders. They fall in love with either the the worst or the worst case that I see is they fall in love with the solution more than the problem. <laughs> and then they don't understand the macros. How big is this TAM? How big is, what is the target market? What that a, a lot of people with consulting background before they even try to attack uh, uh, an opportunity, they look at those factors first then create a solution. What's that like for you? Yeah. I mean, let me let me actually like focus on the private equity side of things with Bain. I mean, we were oh. helping them as a as a consulting company, right? Yeah. Um, but ultimately as a private equity investor, you you obviously you look at the market, but the main difference is there is sort of an like already profitable asset which okay. is doing revenues, which is doing profits and which has a trajectory in one or the other direction. Normally they're growing, but they're also investors who are looking at like sort of distressed assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's assume you're looking at a like growing asset, like three, four, five, whatever percent. So what you're really looking at, you look at the market size, but you, in every aspect, you, you really zoom in on the details. So it's not yeah. about like how big is the market, but is the market growing like three, four or five percent? And how is your market share developing? So by that, you sort of predict, like with customer feedback, you predict how is the top line developing. And then you really zoom into the individual details, like, hey, what are your gross profit margins? How can you like improve them? What are your operating costs? So you really like go way more deeper into the individual details because the company is already way more advanced. Now compare that to a venture capital investor Right. Probably even like pre-product, pre-revenue. So what you're looking at is ultimately a like how big is the market? But that's it, right? How big is right. the market? And then you on paper think like, okay, how is actually this value proposition compared to other value propositions? And then you on paper look, okay, what are the unit economics? Right? But right. it's all way more high level because you have less data. The company is like not really, it's maybe in existence, but doesn't have any data. And then between these like, Seed pre-seed investors, which are very high level, come with this mindset of like big ideas, like what, how big is the TAM? You ultimately go to uh, like as a company progresses, you go to private equity, um, right. where you look at like profitable companies mm-hmm. and which which came there, maybe even like bootstrapped, which a VC would have never touched because the market is too small or something. Correct. But then they become like very profitable for a PE investor. Correct. And again, this is just making it in the black. You don't make it in the black. You good luck. You're you're you're, you're always gonna be in VC, in in VC land. And again, ultimately, yeah. it's a gamble on the team because regardless of TAM, regardless of unit economics, if you're if you're playing the VC game or you're coming in as a founder, and you're coming after a big idea with a big TAM, and you have a solution, especially in the very early stages, it's all about the team that you assemble. Again, key operative word is team, not just one founder. 
it's a team. You need to have, if you can't convince another co-founder to risk it all with you, how will you convince a VC or any type of investor to give their monetary investment to you if you can't get another fool <laughs> like you, like me, uh, to, to join you? But okay, I want to now focus on after uh, Bain, you did True Venturo. What was this? Is this similar to what you did with Bain? Because then after this, you then went gorillas on us. But what, what was that stint uh, like? And what did you learn? Yeah, True Venturo was quite a different approach. So Bain, ultimately, consulting company, service company. Right? And mm-hmm. then with True Venturo, it's a family office, company builder, and venture capital investor. So ultimately wow. changing on the on the principal side and being like deploying the equity and also going way more early stage. So really into the VC environment. And that obviously um, enhanced my like view of this like investor landscape. So what we just discussed before was a very different in environment. So we were really looking either for investment point of view. Like, what is a market? What is a value proposition? How can they grow, right? If they have, like, certain traction, how's that doing? Like, really diving super deep into customer cohorts. And then specifically looking at the team, what have they done before? Is this a good fit? And as you correctly also pointed out, I mean, you you never do this alone, right? It's, like, always the team. Uh, can they pull this off? And then at the same time, from, from a company building perspective, I mean, there we came up with ideas and basically started ramping them up. And then we're putting a team on this. And that's the same. I mean, looking at like required skill set, what are the roles we need? And then looking for people who can like get these like set uh, these certain roles. What are their skill set? Does this match? And also like, do they match with each other, right? In terms of, Skill set, but also on a personal level. That's amazing. Now, last last part before we take our first break. Let's talk about gorillas. So for those people, again, most people in this side of the world probably don't understand how big gorillas is. This is not the band in the 2000s that were cartoons, by the way. <laughs> if you're, you think that uh, Julian was a gorillas part of that band, no, that's not it. This is gorillas, the e-commerce company. From Germany, can you just paint us a picture of what Gorillas is, and what did you do there, and how big did it go in uh, while during in this stint? Yeah, so ultimately, Gorillas was respectively is doing something similar what Dart is doing. Um, so they do grocery delivery in. Uh, at that point, it was ten minutes. Now they actually like softened that a bit. But basically delivering a normal supermarket goods and grocery goods to your door. And they, they started off in Germany. So it's a Berlin-based company founded by one Turkish founder and a German founder during the like really beginning of the pandemic. Wow. And then they basically skyrocketed, um, becoming the like fastest unicorn. Not quite sure if it was in the world or in Europe. Wow. So I think after less than a year, they already achieved unicorn status Ooh. and have been growing like internationally, like growing into other cities within Germany. So overall, like super impressive story of what they built there and how many customers they actually made happy. Right. Okay. I'll go back to your PE hat here. What were the market factors that allowed Gorillas to get that done fast while you guys were there? Because again, 
it has to be the perfect opportunity, timing, and everything coming into place for you to, for you to be able to scale that fast. Because eventually, that's what you're gonna try to replicate with Dart, right? But what were those factors that that uh, allowed that to happen? So um, I think the main factor was or uh, is still actually this like value proposition they're offering. Mm-hmm. Grocery delivery in Germany was never a big thing. It was like from a usability point of view, quite difficult, right? You 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 basically you put a basket together and then you could like select it. Same day delivery with a three-hour window. So next day with a two-hour window, but not really like in a convenient way, not really thought from a customer perspective. Got it. And that's what Gorillas really changed. I mean, this like 10 minutes at that point was really wowing the customers. And we got like so much feedback that they said like, hey, this is really true. How are you doing it? And people were really speculating like, hey, do you have like vans driving through the city? And then when customers are already in the app, you start prepacking stuff. So there was like really this like myth around gorillas. Right. So really also viral growth. Um, but then ultimately, I mean, delivering to them really wowing the customers and that led to like super good retention rates. Customers were like buying again, buying again. And by that, like really fueling this growth. So um, that was the one point. The other point also, I mean, pretty good timing, to be honest. We we never had like such like strong lockdowns as you mm-hmm. had here. So in Germany, we were always able to leave the house. We were always able to go outside or to supermarkets. Right? Yes. But nevertheless, it was really good timing. So people were obviously scared. No one like necessarily wanted to leave the house. So um, in general, grocery delivery um, really got bumped up. And then like coming with a new, like super good value proposition plus really consumer interest that made it really like ramp up super fast. All right, now let's take our first break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Dart and how you're then able to replicate this and try to replicate it in the crazy country called the Philippines. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about... 
up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Julian Schumacher. And before we took our first break, we talked about that experience of Gorillas. Now, million dollar uh, question again for you here is how did the opportunity for Dart come through? And again, coming from, again, having uh, that great experience from Gorillas in Germany, what led you to to want to do Dart halfway across the world in a, you know, a less uh, developed country like the Philippines? Yeah. So let me talk a little bit more about Gorillas. I mean, ultimately, okay. I talked a lot about how it made customers super happy, right? Seeing that was amazing and customers reordering again. Um, so that was a great experience. But then there were obviously also, like with every startup, some, some issues which had to be tackled. And for Gorillas in Germany or any the uh, developed country, it's the unity economics that make them work. So, and that was... Like challenging to actually turn like stores profitable, but like really put gorillas uh, there on a on a good path and um, seeing that that this is really possible, but not that easy. And what happened then at that time is that basically Constantine Roberts r- reached out to me, still being in the Philippines, and came up with the idea of hey, let's maybe take a look at this model if we want to to replicate it and do the same thing here. And what I did, I mean, ultimately, I looked at three factors. Right? One was value proposition. Second was market. Third was profitability. Okay. Value proposition, I mean, we talked about very clear also to what you have here in the market, very clear value proposition um, and how you make grocery delivery better um, for consumers. Mm. Second, market size. Obviously, grocery is a big market. Um, but in particular here, I mean, it's if you look at the NCR region, if you look at Cebu, highly high density right Um, this model is a lot about density and like the dark stores and how much many people you can actually service from within one dark store so the density really worked in our favor and combining that with like very like good income levels in the urban area so that was really working in favor of this model so market like check and then the third point and that got me really excited was actually the the profitability outlook Um, because you you have very good like AOV levels here, like shopping baskets are uh, quite big. But then you have low fulfillment costs and also rent costs and everything is low. So ultimately the profitability outlook can is, is very positive. And that's what we are already seeing now from our first like sort of weeks of, of operations that turning this model profitable here is, is really good. So ultimately coming from a business perspective, right? It was like value proposition, market profitability, or like checks. And then for me, I was like, like even 10 years, 11 years after being in Singapore, I always wanted to go back to Southeast Asia. So Mm. that was like now like an amazing chance. So overall from like initially discussing this to taking the decision to do it, that took me two weeks. Wow. 
what two weeks only <laughs> nice yeah uh, if i if i believe in something i i act fast that's amazing that was really cool so two weeks um handed in my resignation with gorillas um got a lot of very positive support from them they're very like fostering of entrepreneurship and then ultimately moved over to the Philippines in March. And that was six months ago now. That is amazing. So, all right. With that much conviction in a, in a two-week span, I'm pretty sure even if you had all those checkboxes ticked, right, there's pr- going to be some things that will catch you by surprise. And that's what I want to know. What are the biggest challenges in your early stages of creating Dart to when you then moved all the way here? I mean, let, let me walk you a little bit through uh, the, the, the history now since I moved over and like where we are now. Okay. So um, he came over in March and then um, Tommy and me um, started to like very fast actually open up our first like store in a very like M- very, very MVP way. Okay. And then also our uh, CTO, uh, third co-founder Subu joined. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the decision when we decided, okay, let's pause this for a little bit. Let's really build up our own tech. So that was the initial point where we really started building on tech and being able to adapt it more to like how the local e-commerce system, how local local e-commerce apps are being built. And then ultimately um, went officially live with a new platform beginning of July. And that's where we really started adapting the product to uh, the local needs. And there are, there are a lot of things, right? So on the one hand, that's a very obvious one. The assortment comparing Germany to here is very different, right? I knew like German assortment. I know what like from a consumer point of view, from Guru's point of view. But here this was a complete black box for me. Right. So that was a lot where we really had to, on the one hand, like build from scratch an assortment. But then also based on customer feedback, what they're searching for, like really add more and more products. And to be honest, I mean, we got very lucky with uh, with Robinsons and their support as an investor and from an operation point of view in that aspect. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the one thing. Then the second thing was obviously from an operational point of view. I mean, you already yeah. that before. Traffic. It's a thing here. <laughs> I actually learned that the Philippines is uh, probably the only country I've heard of where traffic is an adjective. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was a thing. So like just blueprint gorillas didn't work. We did a lot of testing, like how far during different times can we go from our store to our like delivery areas? Yep. Right? So there was a lot of adoption. Then obviously in terms of like product, um, like how does the app look like? But And then ultimately, I think the biggest one for us was really customer acquisition and marketing. Mm, yes. Because... Um, there are so many cultural differences. Like the Filipino marketing is way more playful. You have to be very clear in the messaging you have to do. It's also, I feel like a bit more skeptical when it comes to things. So you have to really make it very clear what are the value proposition. You have to incentivize, like trying it out for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a, the part where we've been like testing out the most to actually find now this, this like marketing and like approach and combining that with, reflecting that in our app that we are really now able to like grow significantly week on week. Now, uh, one thing I'm very impressed with is that you said you focused on tech early on before even from March till July. And this is one thing that I've seen a lot of first time founders or again, um, 
founders struggle with where they easily focus on tech and they take take forever to ship something and even the worst thing worst case is they built something nobody wants while you were building the mvp what were the key moves that you guys did that allowed you to then build and ship in july and have initial, initial traction right uh right from the get go yeah i mean so we really kicked it off with a shopify web page right to really build some initial traction um but what we saw already from the data is that conversion rates didn't really work out and the app was really not built in a way Mm-hmm. that we could do it so and that's also i mean gorillas basically used a a product from a similar app and really scaled based on that one and that yeah. worked well in the beginning but it had definitely some shortcomings okay. and that's why we actually decided to like completely custom build everything wow. so we completely custom built our our app and we completely custom built our back end um and that was a decision which obviously took a bit longer we could have scaled on the shopify product mm-hmm. um but then it would have been like way more iterations and ultimately down the road way more like work of maintaining this and like changing it and that, what we're seeing now i mean every week we're doing new releases every week we're adding new product features and especially also on the back end side that we have there our own system we are super easy and like just integrating new tools which are helping us to like make it better for customers like right. get better like i don't know better promotion code functionality or better operational tools so that's something where i would say it depends a little bit um on the market right but ultimately think of an mvp right test something but really like think of it as an mvp and if you see like certain products we we decided to abandon it fully mm-hmm. and instead of like based on the learnings based on what we know build something from scratch which put our like launch back by 2 months mm-hmm. but now we are all like super happy we did it that's amazing and i want to now uh, focus on the business model because again you've seen this uh, with with gorillas right but again it's it's you said it earlier it's a black box and at the end of the day any business model that's multi-sided with the demand and supply marketplace is easily one of the hardest business models you can tap into and that's what i want to know um where did you focus on first obviously supply is paramount but again easily saying okay supply will tap into it but with z- without zero network without zero access to the supply it would take longer how did you tackle both sides and uh how did you get that done um that's like super good question because it was one of the points which we have like thinking about a lot right um if you look at the the like ecosystem uh, like as a retailer as a supermarket in our sense we need like probably 2000 SKUs and you need like i don't know how many suppliers from how many like companies and fmcg companies this is ultimately coming from and then i mean what you can also always do you work with the wholesaler and the wholesaler is giving you quite a lot but the wholesale environment in the philippines is not very reliable you have a lot of <laughs> a lot of issues um they cannot deliver if you need something yep um so what we did to solve the supply problem mm-hmm. we teamed up with robinsons so after Whoa. with uh, yes um after kaya founders robinsons um and in particular rubina they have been our first investor and nice. basically on the one hand injected money into the company 
Um, but then secondly, they really helped us out with their like knowledge of being like the largest grocery Absolutely. supermarket chain in the Philippines. And that really like, like four points, right? I talked about the assortment. So initially they really helped us building our first assortment. So how does it look like? What are the products customers are looking for? I had no idea, right? So talking with them really <laughs> the essentials, helped. rice, technically sugar, any spices, you know, these little things. The only difference is brand, technically. I'm just, just talking locally here. Okay. Bread is actually a really good, uh, one of our best sellers, to be honest. Yeah. So every every Filipino is <laughs> not, yep. be, not beating rice though. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yes, okay. So the assortments, okay, there's factor number one. What are the second yeah. one? The the other ones are then based on the assortment. And Green Robinsons um has um obviously all the supplier relationships, and we were able to tap into their like super preferential margins. So ultimately, like yes. really good margin outlook already. Mm-hmm. Uh, third one is, I mean, if you really want to like scale then your stores, you need to have a really good supply chain, which is ultimately delivering the, your products into your dark stores, into our dark stores. Mm-hmm. And that's something which Robinson is doing for us, right? We can tap into their own distribution centers. They are delivering to our stores. Nice. Yeah. And these are actually like the, the main points where you said like, okay, look, we, we have the right assortment for the customers. We can do it at a right price point. We don't have to take care of all the like logistics behind it. We just take care of our own business model. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a tremendous help to be focused and to really give like good prices and like value to the customer. And that's where, where I really want to uh, find out uh, today, because you said that the Philippines is ripe and the way you're positioning it and the way you look at the u- unit economics has always been a good market to get profitable. Wherein there's a misconception about e-commerce, especially in FMCG, that it is a volume game and the margins are very low, especially if you don't have volume, right? But I think if you really position, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this is just me assuming, if you position the right service for the right segment of the market, where with the rising middle class, and you said that density, usually they're bunched up in certain communities anyway, that cart size with the right margins and with the right SKUs, if you get that fast and people pay for convenience, usually for, for that type of market size, you'll eventually get that magic formula fast. What, is, is that a right assumption that, you know, right SKUs, right product positioning, yeah. and probably several more factors, yeah. you'd get that pretty fast, even if you do have competition in that market? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's um, like pretty, uh, very correct what you're saying. So let me, let me add a few more details. So what you okay. said, like, obviously, like having the right products at the right um, price, that's super important, but that's then really helping you if you add more and more and more customers can buy more from you. Ultimately, this is growing your, your basket sizes. Mm-hmm. And then, as you said, the margin point of view, like we are looking at like super good margins that are way beyond what we projected. Nice. But if you compare that basket sizes, margins, and compare that to Europe, well, here basket sizes are lower, margins are lower. So ultimately, mm-hmm. your your sort of all the money you make on every order, mm-hmm. it's lower than what you have in Europe. Wow. But what then really comes in is is the lower fulfillment costs, and that is really making a tremendous change. So if you look at our model here, it's way less of a scale game. Than it is in in Europe, 
I mean, in in uh, Germany, when we I've been still working there, like we have been looking at like probably needed like 800 average daily orders to to turn a store profitable. And for us, it's like a fraction of that, right? So wow. here it's actually based on the the structural like conditions in the market of AOV margins, and then ultimately down to the fulfillment costs. It is way more profitable and you need less scale to turn this profitable. And that applies pretty much to all the more um, developing countries. Mm. But one factor which in particular comes in here in the Philippines and in the NCR region in Manila, okay. it's like one of the densest cities in the world. Yep. I think even the densest city in the world. Yep. And then you think about this. So you have a store that's like sort of like having a radius of like two kilometers. Right. In Germany, we had like probably like less than 100,000 people living in that one. Here we have five to 600,000, right? Correct. It's like more like than seven, eight times the density. So better unit economics and more orders per store leading to like a really good outlook uh, in terms of profitability. And that this, this then shows you the amount of preparation that you guys put in because you understood the market factors. It was easier to execute because you knew what you were going for and the type of people. But last question before we take our last break. Since you were looking for the right type of people, and again, they can be a little fickle-minded, you know, with the right with the, the right segment. How were you able to get the initial traction that you needed? Because if the supply was checked, then demand uh, was there. But again, even if you didn't have a nice Sam, low cost of fulfillment, you need to get the consumerist Filipino that wants to <laughs> that wants to pay for convenience to ride on. And this yeah. is where a lot of founders struggle getting yeah. real traction. And especially in this, in this game, you need repeat purchase. How are you able to get that? Yeah. So the repeat purchase was from day one. That was never a problem. We always had like customers wow. who ordered once from us. They were really amazed. They, they tested it out. They saw our prices are good. They saw our assortment is good. And then they were, seeing that, well, this is actually like working the 15 minutes, right? So the, the repurchasing rate was like from day one good. Uh, like initially we had like what I said, like how to attract the customers, right? How do you make them like buy first? And mm -hmm. there, I think, to be honest, there there is no like silver bullet to this, right? It's a lot right. of like testing, measuring, seeing what works, trying out something different. If something is working, well, then you basically zero in on that one. But there's like, so firstly, there's no one like channel which is like really killing it for you, right? So we did a lot. We did like offline activations. We did like already like some out-of-home campaigns in the areas we were live. We did like online marketing. And then we tried out also a lot of like different messaging. So 15 minutes, for instance, that's something we, we tried out. Then we tried out like, hey, sort of delivery promise if it's less than 20 minutes you get your delivery feedback so like making it like less risk averse and then ultimately you, you you zero in on to the message and the value proposition you're putting out there which is really attracting customers and then if you have found that that's then the point where you start like investing more marketing money right that's before right. that well could be that you're actually just blowing it away mm -hmm. so for us it's uh test learn repeat that's amazing because again, if you get that sweet spot with how consumerist Filipinos are <laughs> and how they like to spend that money, especially for convenience, you'd easily get that traction. And the, the beauty of it, again, if you don't need massive scale, 
and you have good margins, then I can just imagine how that PNL would look like very, very soon. But again, let's take our last break. And when we come back, let's now talk about the experience of how you can now uh, scale Dart and also the fundraising game to scale this. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. 
with over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We are still with Julian Schumacher again, who then told us uh, how they were able to capitalize uh, on this opportunity. Which, again, if you're a founder listening to this, this is a classic way, and that's what I've seen. How you know, with Kaya founders, Paolo likes to call it second generation uh, startup founders because they've done it before, and in, in a similar market, they can do it again. So, if you're right now, if you're in the precipice or you're in the cusp of asking yourself like, hey, can I be a startup founder? And you're in already in another startup. This is the game. This is your unfair advantage because you've done it before. And if you really understand your metrics and how to execute, there's a high likelihood that you're going to be successful. And companies like Kaya Founders uh, are, are ready to help you out and make you scale and bet on your team if you build the right team. And that's what I want to uh, talk about. Because uh, obviously, you can't do this alone, Julian. Let's all talk about the co-founders that you have here. And what were the, what was their background? How did you build that dynamic working with them? Yeah. So we are, we are three co-founders um, at Dart. So it's um, Tommy, the uh, CEO, Subu, our CTO, and me. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look at this... I mean, we we actually have a quite complementary skill set. Nice. So I'm sort of like I'm taking care of anything which is top line related. I have really worked in this specific business model before. Yeah. And like together with them, like we're working on the guidance and what are the priorities we want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, like on the one hand, I mean he is. He is from the Philippines, right? He has a cultural context, a cultural background. That's like something which was like super essential. But then on top of that, um, he worked in the on-demand industry for like years and years. Wow. He's been working with Postmates in the US. He's been working with Uber, um, very much focused on like data analytics operations. Um, so he really understands like what are critical factors in this model. And then combining that with the cultural context that's obviously was a really great fit. And we mm-hmm. initially, like we met through Kaya mm-hmm. and have been like, I was still in Germany, right? She was in the Philippines already right. I'm, uh, back from the US and have been like discussing this um, back and forth. And there was a lot like obviously getting to know each other, like understanding what the other one can do. But on top of that, also like really getting to know each other. And is there like a personal fit? And that yes. if there's no personal fit, the rest is like doesn't matter anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So that's and that's like a big check mark. And also, like from our like personal point of view, my uh, Eileen, our people manager, is always telling me, 
Um, we are also there quite complementary, right? I'm the one who's like always like want to march forward and like do stuff like mm. faster, 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 faster. Mm. And Tommy is the one who is like then a bit more reasoned and like calming me down and like putting it sometimes in a bit like really structure. <laughs> right. Structure is great to be honest, but no, but also like um, taking a little bit of a different angle. Mm. Um, and then the third one, um, Subu, who uh, joined a bit later, but um, super essential. So our CTO, and basically, I mean, from a from a skill set point of view, that like was like no question at all. He's like done yep. mobile, right? We're a mobile first company. He has done back end. He has been working with engineering teams. He has been in the on demand industry. Mm-hmm. So that was like a massive check. And then also we we met in person. Um, so he's living in India. We met basically in Singapore. Then also confirmed like, hey, spent a week there together ultimately working on the company, but also getting to know each other. And then this was a point where we said like, look, we really, the three of us, we get along each other with each other. We have like skill set, which is really matching. And well, let's do this. Right. That's amazing. And that's what I want to find out. Because again, majority of the, the startup founders that, technically decide to create a startup come from they know each other from before they saw an, uh, they saw a problem and they want to do it together there's prior chemistry here and this is what's interesting because if this didn't work if you didn't have prior or, or you didn't have or develop that chemistry this will implode it won't even get there because it all starts with you three right what were the building blocks you had to come because again you built this on the fly as you're building a company you're technically on honeymoon mode, <laughs> not knowing each other's quirks, right? How do you build that dynamic? And you, you guys are both alphas. You had prior successes coming in, but what were the biggest adjustments that you had to also find to really find that, that flow in chemistry outside of what the, you know, the numbers are and whatnot to make this work? Because the reason why I'm asking this is there's other startups here out, out there for sure. That would be like, hey, let's replicate that. On paper, we fit. But at the end of the day, the chemistry still needs to be built. Just like any type of romantic relationship, you got to go on several dates first before we find that, that flow. How yeah. did you develop that on the side? Because if, if this dynamic would ever work, you need to develop that fast and you need to make those adjustments fast as well. Yeah. No. Um, so... As you said, like I think you firstly you have to look at like on paper what are skill set, what have people done before? Is this like a fit, right? Um, right? So that's the first step, and that's like that's something you can assess easily and fast. And then the the other part is like the, the personal fit and like how do you work with each other? And I think um, the one thing is well, is there actually like chemistry? And that's nothing you can build. That's something either there is or there is not. But that's also something you learn probably in like two three meetings. You get along or you don't. So, and that's a lot of gut feeling, to be honest. Right. <laughs> it's just like dating. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a good date, all right, let's do it again. If not, like, uh sorry, yeah. I'm a swipe left, right? Pretty much like that, right? And then the third thing is, like, as you said, I mean, we are we're basically, we've been, Tommy and I have been sitting in the store and, like, or in our small, like, office room we had. And we were sub, uh, sub-renting somewhere and, like, but we have been sitting there like day and night together. Mm. And um, that's, as you said, it's something you build on the fly. Mm. And I think for us, it was a lot about like being very clear and transparent 
about our ways of working, right? So what is like sort of important for me? How do I work? How do I tick? At the same time, what is important for Tommy? What is important for Subu? And then actually like respecting that and working like towards that. And then obviously continuously doing that again. So we have in our company this like sort of like framework of PD chats, personal mm -hmm. development chats. It's like basically between Subu, Tommy and me, but also with the rest of the team that every like sort of six, seven weeks, we sit down together and we recap of the last like period really not work related, but rather like sort of like how did the work in general go and then take away like what went well, what are like the improvements we want to do and like clear takeaways. And that is going in both directions, right? If I sit down with like my, like one from my marketing team, they are telling me, Julian, hey, this is what you did well. This is something well where we need to have some improvement and then like, okay, I do the same and then we have our key takeaways. That is amazing. Now, it's, it's, it can't just all uh, you three. You need to build a rock star team around you. But how did you then build that team? Because again, this is where nuance comes in. We need a lot of locals who understand the game by heart. Uh, and again, what type of talents do you guys uh, surround yourself? Uh, and especially in this competitive market, you're not the only startup trying to hire quality talent. How did you recruit them in? So oh, what you said, the rock star team. That's something I really want to underline, right? Yes. Our team is amazing. But it's a good point. I mean, finding the right talent is 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 not easy and it takes time. Yes. Um, and sometimes, but also you can only go that far in interview process, and then you have to like ultimately say, like, hey, we do it or not. Looking looking at our team, I mean, we we are lucky, right? We are an international like founder team, and we're really also tapping into that international um, pool of talent. Nice. So on the one hand, especially on the teams which are more consumer-facing, um, so marketing, mm -hmm. um, the, our commercial and assortment team, these are really the, the homegrown um, talents where we're, because they have a better cultural understanding. They really know how here the consumers are ticking. So there we really went um, uh, strong on this one and um, really got together like super cool team. Um, then when it comes to the operational playbook and um, more of the mechanics of the model behind it, yep. um, that's where we got also some international talent on board. Awesome. So on the one hand, I I was able to also bring some people with me from Germany, from Gorillas. Right? They, nice. they have done it before. They know the playbook and they're like tremendously helpful in the operations, building the operational processes. Like also like knowing the business model, like really helping to craft stories, which we want to communicate. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And then also like Subu coming um, from the Indian background, tapping into there, the tech and UI, UX, the design talent pool um, that we also get uh, got people from there. So ultimately putting together like a well-rounded team, right? Putting them into the right position, giving them like targets. But then it's also, I mean, our team is like, extremely dedicated like really i feel like proud to to work in this company and then it's like obviously so they are working they're working um so we managed to do that and they create out uh, amazing outputs but at the same time i mean this is this is not a, a sprint right this is a marathon yes same time we are really looking into like um, work-life balance already like because for People are really working a lot, like, but how can we make sure that they don't after years say like, hey, it was a nice ride, but like now it's enough. How do we make sure they stay with us for five years, longer and longer? Correct. That's really our goal. 
That is amazing. All right. Last few questions before I let you go. This will not happen if you are not able to then fundraise and get the right investors on board. Can you just talk about how you got the likes of Gaia and how instrumental were they, especially in getting you the first few checks that you were able to get? Yeah. Um, I mean, so Kaya was the key institution in like helping us get this um, off the ground. Mm-hmm. So initially, um, for for me, I mean, coming from from Germany, like having the model done the model before, but like zero culture context, being from like how do I talk with uh, customers, um, like actually like how do I set up a company, right? Uh, which is not that easy in the Philippines. So there there was like. Getting things off the ground, Kaya was like the key uh, um, support Tommy Subunai got. And also in the beginning, like giving us support from their teams to, uh, from a tech point of view, from like uh, actually like expanding, finding real estate uh, to uh, like ultimately like product topics. And then basically Kaya's, on an operational level, Kaya's, like input was like slowly going back while we were building up our own team. Nice. Um, but then the other point, I mean, obviously Kaya, Paolo, um, Liza, uh, extremely well connected. So the whole intro to Robinson's coming from them and also to all sorts of other investors. So they're like having their backing, having the signaling coming from them, plus all the intros to the funds that was obviously helping us a lot to, uh, well, get foot into the door. But then it was us basically like sealing uh, that. That's amazing. Now again, um, you've then have these things. How were what's next for for Dart? And again, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be the last time we're going to be seeing you because I, I think with that, you with that margin, with that opportunity that you have, it's going to be hard to see uh, you guys not succeed. Because all the factors are there, um, and especially with the world coming back to normal and in the Philippines, when the world is normal, people like to spend their money, and you know the with with activity comes a new set of problems like traffic. You know, you know, you're not back in the comfort of your home, and in the next coming months and years, I see that we're gonna go back to normal. But what's next for you guys, and um, what are the things that we should lo- look out for? Yeah. I mean, so for us, it's pretty much like a clear, like sort of next steps roadmap mm-hmm. of what we want to do. So ultimately, um, we have at the moment, we have two stores. We cover three cities. We cover mm-hmm. um, Mandaluyong, we cover Makati, and we cover BGC. So now it's really about like even further refining the model, like refining the product and then like further scaling it. But at the same time, we are obviously already looking at like further expansion. Um, and there is like really about the NCR region to further like cover other cities, serve more um, customers. I mean, ultimately, if you're not in our radius, if you're not in the right city at the moment, we see a lot of customers who are reaching out to us, commenting on our Instagram post saying, hey, you're still not in our city. We're like, yes, sorry. <laughs> we will let you know once you're there, we are there. So um, it's really about like now growing into other like cities, expanding our service. And like showing that we can like grow anywhere. Um, obviously, then uh, um, a few other cities are interesting in uh, in the in the Philippines, which we are looking at. And then let's see. I mean, our clear focus um, is the Philippines, and mm-hmm. we want to like grow here, expand here. This is our home turf. This is where we have the support from Robinsons. 
Um, but who knows, like maybe go into other Southeast Asian markets uh, in the future. That's something we definitely not rule out. That is amazing. Again, thank you very much, Julian, for such an amazing episode. But before I let you go, please invite people over to try out Dart. Where do they, if they want to work with you? And again, they want to reach out and beg you to, have, to open their city. Where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, I mean, there, there are several ways. I mean, on the one hand, you can like go onto a website and we have a form there to, to do it. Um, you can write us through the app. Um, if you want, you can also write me personally. I'm always looking, or if you have feedback on our product, I actually do a lot of like customer calls because it's one of the most powerful things. So you can reach out to me to um, julian at dart-app.com. And um, also, I mean, anyone who wants to try it out, low risk, uh, just try out Julian 400. That's um, a voucher code basically gives you off uh, 400, up to 400 pesos. There you go. All right. 400 pesos. That's a lot of food that you can get. Care of Julian. But again, thank you very much. Before I let you follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or any type of podcast app. And if you see a rating, just give us some feedback. What what do you prefer? Five star for us or whatever. Give us feedback so we can improve the podcast. And again, if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes and hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be part of the community of Hustleshare listeners, it's going to be Hustleshare community on Facebook. Again, Julian, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.